0: and turn to Daniel chapter 6. That's about halfway between uh, Psalms and Proverbs and the start of the New Testament. And we're reading from Daniel 6, and you can find that in the Pew Bibles on page 890. Daniel chapter 6. tried to find ground for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charge against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So the administrators and the satraps went as a group to the king and said, O king Darius, live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or man during the next 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, O king, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the laws of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel, praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any God or man except to you, O king, would be thrown in the lion's den? The king answered, the decree stands in accordance with the laws of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Then the men went as a group to the king and said to him, Remember, O king, that according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May may your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the lion's den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near to the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve, continually been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, O king, live forever. My God sent his angels, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me, because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, O king. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wounds were found on him, because he had trusted in his God at the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and children. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. The king, Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and men of every language throughout the land, May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom people must fear and revere at fear and reverence the god of daniel for he is the living god and he endures forever his kingdom will not be destroyed his dominion will never end he rescues and he saves he performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth he has rescued daniel from the power of the lions so Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus, the Persian. This is God's holy word.
1: Thank you. Evening, everyone. Shall we bury our heads together and pray for God's help as uh, I preach and as you listen, let's pray. Lord, you've said in your word, this is the one whom I will esteem, he or she who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word lord we come under the healing of your word as it's been read and now come to the explanation of it we pray that you would grant your help by your spirit to me as i preach and to our brothers and sisters friends gathered here as we listen uh, be at work we pray to impress upon our hearts the things you would have us not only learn but apply and this we ask in jesus name amen Well, as Martin said, we've been working through the book of Daniel. There are 12 chapters in Daniel, but the book, as I said at the very beginning of the the series, is divided very much into two, 1 to 6 and 7 to 12. 1 to 6 is essentially the narrative or the storytelling half of Daniel. 7 to 12 is pretty much apocalyptic literature, as we call it. It's kind of full of visions and, and pictures um, that we're going to come back to in about two and a half, three months' time after Andy's preached uh, a series uh, on Romans 8. Uh, but we're at this, the end point, if you like, of the first half of the book of Daniel. And there are many similarities in this story and even in this sermon to the things that we were highlighting at the start of our series in Daniel. As we explored together, what does it look like to live as aliens and strangers in a land like ours there has been this constant refrain through all these chapters in in daniel that god is a god of power god is a god who is sovereign over all things he sets up kings he deposes them Uh, god is the one who rescues and saves amazingly like he does with Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego in chapter 3. He is the one in chapter 2 who reveals mysteries and all for this purpose so that his people living as aliens and strangers in a foreign land can remain faithful to him. Do you get that? Faithfulness to God God who is trustworthy is what this is all about now let's not forget, this is the very reason why Daniel himself is, is writing this material. Daniel was writing for a people who were in exile, in a foreign land, far away from home. They had no land, they had no city, they had no temple. Nebuchadnezzar had raided on three occasions. The third occasion, he utterly destroyed the place. No stone left on another, etc. He had killed many, many people. And he brought the pick of the bunch to Babylon to live in a foreign land. So this book is written to give hope to God's people in dark days when even if they did not live out their distinctiveness as the people of God, there is very much the potential that they would be trampled, wiped out, gone forever. And in terms of the grand plan of God... From Genesis chapter 3 where he promises a rescuer in the light of Adam and Eve's sin. All the way through to the end to Revelation and the the exalting of Christ as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. There is this potential for a break in Daniel. There's a problem. If God's people are wiped out, where is this rescuer? Where is this Messiah King going to come from? That's a big problem. So that's why... God is at work, even when his people are in a dark and a strange and a difficult land, to say to them, be faithful. I'm trustworthy. I am with you, and I will never let you go. So this book of Daniel, the end of this, these first six chapters in particular, bring us to a point where we must recognize, if I can get this verse on screen, that would be great, Alistair, thank you. Uh, we come to a place where we recognize that God's people are those who must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. The God who rescues Daniel here, the God who has been at work in chapters 1 to 5 as well, is the God we serve. It is the same Lord God of heaven and earth, who, if we have put our faith and trust in Jesus, is accessible. We can pray to him. He is kind and good towards us, never anything but is inconsistent with his character to be anything but good and kind towards us. He is a God who answers prayers. He is a God who forgives. He is a God who strengthens us with all power and all might, even in the most difficult of times. Which tells us then that the book of Daniel is especially as relevant, should I say, as it was for the people, even in the the horrors and the difficulty of exile back then. So how should we, knowing that we are, as it were, aliens and strangers in a foreign land, how are we supposed to live in a place like Edinburgh, in a world like ours, increasingly secular, where Christianity in this city and in this nation is being suppressed, pushed back? What are we supposed to do? It could be all too easy for us to be but to be trampled to be shushed or even for us to just say do you know what this is too hard I don't think I can do this I don't think I can live this distinctive life I don't like bearing the brunt of the mockery and the, the oppression that I feel from friends and family members even people who don't even know me are judging me because they know that I'm a Christian be all too easy just to say do you know what just stuff it and we can blend in well that's a fatal mistake Daniel six serves, serves us well as we finish off this section in daniel helps us understand how we take our place in the culture we live we must fear and reverence every single day the god of the bible the god of daniel our great god and our savior Look with me at verses 1 to 3. There's three main things I'm going to highlight tonight. This is the first thing. In daily life, live as faithful servants of God. Some of these points that I mentioned in this first section were really picked up on in the first sermon, but I have no issue with repetition. If if the Lord sees fit that we should consider some of the same things in Daniel chapter 6, 1 to 3, that we considered in Daniel chapter 1, then we must need to hear it twice then, right? So Daniel chapter 1, uh, 6 verses 1 to 3, live in daily life, live as faithful servants of God. Here's, Here's the interesting thing about Daniel that we continue to see, after king after king after king has passed. We've had Nebuchadnezzar, we've had Belshazzar, and now here's Darius, and what do we find once more, Daniel is in a high position of service in serving the king's interest, interests. Now, that's an important thing to see. Again, there are three choices for those who live in a land that is not their own. There is the assimilation idea, that if you can't beat them, join them. That's blending in. Separation, just retreat into some kind of Christian ghetto. So just that's kind of Amish-style thing. You know, we're not going to touch anyone. We're not going to see anyone else of who, who's not a believer. We're just going to be who we are in our little ghetto. Or there's a qualified participation. It's a yes but to involvement in our culture and this is how Daniel lives. Daniel works for this Medo-Persian king just as he did the Babylonian kings before him and often we've seen that the evidence of God's hand upon Daniel was plain to see in the fact that he was given positions, prominent positions in government uh, which for someone who was in exile was a pretty phenomenal thing. Uh, once more though we have the new king Daniel is one of the top jollies one of the if you like three presidents that had oversight of many many governors underneath him Um, the only one above him effectively is the king and so what we see in this passage is that Daniel heavily involved in a government in which he is serving the king's interests even as the text says making sure that the king does not suffer loss fascinating to see And Daniel can serve alongside those who are not of a similar faith. He can live quite openly as a stranger in a land not his own. And so can we. Daniel is an encouragement to us to go and to participate in the world in all sorts of different ways. To serve in places that aren't explicitly Christian. So we don't need to retreat into the Christian ghetto. We can be involved. We can be immersed at the coalface, as it were, of whatever line of work. But we must recognize this, that even though Daniel served the king's interests, he did so by serving the interests of a greater king. Daniel's service was basically regulated by what God allowed. His service of Darius was in obedience to God's word. In Jeremiah 29, we find that passage again, which says, when you go off into exile, here's how you should live. This is how you should conduct yourself. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you. In other words, to bring you back to this place. That was God's plan. That is Jerusalem. And so Daniel was simply, as he was immersing himself in the culture and in the the, the government there, he was simply obeying the word of God and with integrity looked to the best interests, even of the empire in which he served. So Daniel served these people because... God had permitted him to do so and encouraged him to do so through the prophets he raised these people up even Nebuchadnezzar Belshazzar even Darius even Cyrus because God's hand was upon them he was raising these very people up these very empires up to serve his purposes we've seen that already in the book of Daniel that God is sovereign over all these kings So Daniel is not trying to utilize his position here to create, to necessarily create some kind of God-fearing culture or God-fearing society. But he's seeking to live in a way that shows that while he engages with the people around him, he will resolve to retain his distinctiveness. He's involved, but he's different. Involved, but different. He always will belong to God and this service is what enabled him to retain his distinctiveness you know we have all the way through we have Daniel 5 for example Daniel referred to by the Babylonian name that was given him, Belteshazzar and Daniel 6 he's Dan in chapter 6 he's Daniel again and when you think about all the changes that they've tried to impose on this man from the very beginning you know from at the beginning they changed his tried to change his diet but that didn't make him a Babylonian. They changed his vocation at times but that didn't make him a Babylonian. They changed his language but that didn't make him a Babylonian. They tried to change his name but that didn't make him a Babylonian and now the Babylonians are gone and Daniel remains. He's not a Babylonian. He's not a middle Persian. He still belongs to the one true God and serves him and him alone. He has remained faithful As the coming and going of kings has occurred. Why? Because he trusts in God. And because he knows that God is faithful and is in control of all these different things from kings to positions in government. And what a a service that is to us to remember these things. Reminds me of some of the stuff that we've been thinking through in our One Peter series that Paul has been taking us through. In One Peter two, eleven and twelve we read this, dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles, basically to do two things. Abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. In other words, devote yourself to holiness. And then live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. In other words devote yourself to helpfulness among those who are not of the faith live a life that's beautiful live a life that's honourable and attractive, do you see how they describe Daniel in verse, where is it verse 4, they could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent, in other words he was diligent in all he did what he said he would do, he did it. That's a kind of life where there is no inconsistency between what is said and what is done, and that's how we should live. And we must recognise the value of that. Surely, it's, it's not rocket science to to get this that consistency between what we say and what we do makes it much more plausible that God is really there, and that the influence on his on our lives is real. Is powerful and different from anything else that anybody else has in all the world. No matter how sophisticated the, the ideology is, or how clever the the philosophy is, it's different. Because behind it is a God of power. And it's maybe then. When people around us see our outward actions, that even as they say in 1 Peter, they will ask us about our inner hope. So you see, in the first instance, that we're reminded again in daily life to live as faithful servants of God, not withdrawing into Christian bubbles, but living, engaging with everyone around us, whether it's at work or in sports or in our streets or in the hobbies that we take up or, or the meals that we eat. You know, do you, do you think about those things? But how you connect with people around you? Why don't you take a colleague out for lunch? Why don't you take up a hobby, join a sports club or something like that? Engage with people. Connect with people and live distinctive lives as you do so, so that they might ask you for the reason that you, for the hope that you have. Or so that you might have a platform even to tell people, volunteer the hope that you have in Jesus Christ. So engage in all sorts of fields. Live as faithful servants of God. We're able to do so. We should do so. But always remembering that this is not our home. We must maintain our identity because our citizenship lies elsewhere in heaven. Live as faithful servants of God. and Trust God every single day. Even, now this is the second point, even in times of trial. In times of trial, verses 4 to 18 tell us, live as faithful witnesses of God. Daniel experienced real hostility, even as he lived out this life of faithfulness. He was trustworthy, neither corrupt nor negligent. You would think that would keep trouble far from him, far from it. Faithfulness that honors God can often result in persecution. And deep tensions have existed between the church and the world for centuries. That's no surprise to us. Jesus himself said, Do not be surprised if the world hates you for it hated me first even the apostle Paul would say everyone who wants to live a godly life will be persecuted Now that takes various forms and various levels of intensity of course but 1 Peter 2 again holds out for us the hope that our loving activity and good conduct can serve to diffuse a person's hostility but that's not always the case. In Daniel's experience, I would argue that his righteousness was something that intensified the hostility that he experienced, particularly from these other governors who were saying, Not happy having him above me, this exile from Judah. We're going to have to do something about this. And I think we find some of the underlying reasons for their hostility are, are down to jealousy and strangeness in this situation. Jealousy—they see him as being better than them. He is incorruptible in a system that's full of corruption. He's diligent in all that he does. Probably a bunch around, around a bunch of lazy folks. He's honest and hardworking in his attitude. He is esteemed, especially by the king, as exceptional. And again, what an example to us. Whatever we end up working, whatever we. Whatever we end up doing, however we're, whether we're studying or we're at school, live as servants of God. Don't just do what you have to do. Do things diligently. Be exceedingly good at working well. Apply the principle in every area of life that we see in 1 Corinthians 10.31. Whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. All for the glory of God. And there's a strangeness side of things. Daniel is different to them. The more people find they're not like us, the stranger we can be to them. And we know what it's like. If we find someone to be strange, we can feel like we don't know them. We don't know how they act. And it's almost hard, in one sense, to predict what they will do or what they're going to say. So we wonder, what's the conversation going to be like, etc. I think that's how the world often sees Christians it's unavoidable in some respects christians will find some people act differently towards them (laughs) this is a strange illustration but i often find it's it's comparable to what we do with wasps Uh, product of the fall clearly wasps they're unpredictable aren't they i mean you never know whether to stay still or run and flail you know anyone else have that situation i'm like that all the time never know whether to run away or swipe it and i think it's the same with those who who don't follow jesus did i really say that Uh, and don't really know what those who follow him believe and do people don't know whether they should stay still they don't know whether they should run or whether they should take a swipe at us you see the comparison it's not that crazy is it some are nodding and some are shaking their heads so okay i'll speak with that after anyway some keep their distance in other words others are just going to run a mile and that's that's exactly what we see in Daniel's crew the extent of their wickedness is seen in the fact they don't admit Daniel's integrity so they decide to take a swipe at him and actually this shows you the depth of sinfulness of people they move on to deeper scheming even when they find nothing on this guy that's awful how would you feel if someone acted in that way towards you well, let's make something up let's be crafty let's find a way to trap them because that's what these guys do here's the evidence of their hostility they start to dig around for dirt they're trawling through his facebook history you know they're checking his emails hacking in there you know they can't find anything on this guy he just posts bible verses and lovely pretty pictures of cats and all this kind of stuff. You know, they're, they're prepared, though, to target... Some of you, stop posting about cats. Anyway, pre- that's a digression. Um, they're prepared to target, though, the very core of who Daniel is. How do we get this guy? I know what we'll do. We will pit the law of the Medes and the Persians, the seemingly unbreakable law, against the law of God. That's what they do. We've got him. We've got him. Because it was known about him that they knew that he would not compromise on this. Like we saw in chapter 1, there is a line that would not be crossed. Daniel was gracious in the way he went about separating himself in some respects, the way he was engaged, but the way he was saying, actually, these are some things that I cannot do. There is a line drawn. I will not cross it. So they say, let's use his righteousness against him. That's a terrible thing to do. They end up conning the king. They address him in the way that all the kings are addressed. It reminds me of the lemurs from Madagascar when they come before King Julian. I can't believe I just used that as an illustration as well. Anyway, they come and say, oh, amazing, high king, wonderful king. They come with all these superlatives and just say, you're so wonderful. Then they go to Darius with a proposal for this new law, the next 30 days no one's to pray to any god except or man except the king himself pray to the king a man all offenders would be cast into the den of lions so they pray if they, if you like these are the, the the ones who are looking to devour by the way they're praying on the king's prideful heart and pulling on his strings to make him move the way that they want him to move and so he applies the law sounds good to me he says Sounds good to me. So what did Daniel do? How is Daniel going to respond? Will he still be faithful to the law of God? Or will he stop praying for a month? It was only a month. Well, what do we see here? Daniel was faithful to God. First of all, it was his discipline. Though he knew of the decree, he just went straight away and prayed. Verse 16 tells us that. He was so consistent. Even Darius attests to it in verse 16 when he's ordering him to be thrown to the lions. Verse 16. So the king gave the order and they brought Daniel, threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually. In other words, you've not stopped. And it was true because back up in verse 10, you see when Daniel learned the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward jerusalem three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed giving thanks to his god just as he had done before in other words nothing changed this was his practice this would be what he would do he was disciplined in this regard and he was resolved to do it but the direction of his prayer here is important well as well in in showing us where who he was depending on why pray towards jerusalem well for these guys, the, the Jews in this time, this was the epicenter of the worship of the God of Israel. That's where it took place. And even though the temple no longer existed, again, what Daniel is doing is basically being obedient to scripture. You don't have to turn there, but 2 Chronicles 6, this is at the very time when King Solomon, having finished building this temple, awesome temple is praying and dedicating this temple before God they're having a massive service of celebration for this and then even as part of his prayer there is almost this this preempting, this prophetic view that actually the people are going to sin and be carried off into exile listen to this when they sin against you for there is one no one who does not sin and you become angry with them and give them over to the enemy who takes them captive to a land far away or near And if they have a change of heart in the land where they are held captive and repent and plead with you in the land of their captivity and say, we have sinned, we have done wrong and acted wickedly. And if they turn back to you with all their heart and soul in the land of their captivity where they were taken and pray toward the land you gave their fathers, toward the city you have chosen and toward the temple I have built for your name, then from heaven, your dwelling place, hear their prayer and their pleas, uphold their cause, and forgive your people, those who have sinned against you. See what he's doing? Even he's just doing, he's answering Solomon's prayer. He's recognizing that the reason why they're in captivity, in exile, is because the people have sinned. And therefore his face in discipline, three times a day, is turned towards Jerusalem towards that city, towards that broken down temple and praying for God to hear their prayers and rescue them. In other words, he's staying faithful even in the face of death. He's awaiting even a rescuer from there. Truth and salvation for the world lay not in the city Nebuchadnezzar had built but in the city he had destroyed, Jerusalem. And so in defiance he goes and prays he does as he has always done he could have hidden he could have changed his practice for a month he could have prayed inside a cupboard he didn't need to pray by the open window he could have said to himself well actually i've got a seriously strategic position in this government here i'm about to be made the the kind of president if you like Maybe it'd be better to compromise on this praying thing in order to keep on serving in this way. But no, there was a line that had been drawn and Daniel would not cross it. And so we see even in this that the power of God was manifested in Daniel's life. Not in drawing back from the trial, but in facing it head on with faithfulness before God's. it's as if he says there are many things I will do but there are some things I will not do and he will rather risk it all than defy his God in a a way that says you know if this land makes a rule which bans me from worshipping God and praying to the one on whom I depend for life and breath and everything then I will disobey I will disobey I don't care how much authority Darius chooses to give me I want to go home god is bringing us home and that's where i'm going to be focused so begs the question of us as we face the daily temptation even in trial to compromise on our faith to dumb down the fact that we are christians to keep it silent to keep it to ourselves Or else go against some kind of disciplined conviction that we have in order to keep the peace in the workplace or in the school or whatever. Will we keep our mouths closed? Where is the line beyond which you will not go? Are we being careful to retain our distinctiveness as aliens and strangers in this world? What kind of things are we willing to sacrifice in order to maintain the integrity of our faith and our witness it might be a job it might be a promotion it might be a reputation it was Dietrich Bonhoeffer who said when Christ calls a man he bids him come and die and that's exactly what Daniel was willing to pay it's the price he was willing to pay because in verses 16 to 18 we see that Daniel was delivered over to die and to make sure that no outside help was given to Daniel. The mouth of the den was covered with a stone. It was sealed with the signet ring of the king and his lords. I love this. So that, verse 17, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Seriously. Seriously. You think God needs the door opened to stop a bunch of lions from munching down on Daniel. Oh, come on. They've not read the first five chapters. Well, yeah. Oh, come on. So that the situation might not change. Who is in control in the book of Daniel? God is. So they think a stone will stop him, God, from working. Or they think an open stone tomb if you like is necessary well humanly speaking Daniel was left all alone to face his fate yet Darius's last words to Daniel pointed to this higher source of help may your God whom you serve continually deliver you well Darius couldn't save him but there's almost a hope here because he knows he's been duped at this point right may your God whom you serve deliver you he hoped his God might and sure enough he did verses 19 to 23 shows that Daniel was raised up alive so the king rushes to the tomb in verse 21 having been asked Daniel, servant of the living God is your God whom you serve continually says it again in other words you've been diligent Daniel has he been able to rescue you from the lions Daniel answered oh king live forever My God sent his angel. He shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight. See that? You know the word in the Hebrew there means to be justified. Found not guilty. In other words, there is innocence in this. And God has declared Daniel to be innocent by closing the mouths of lions and preserving him in this tomb of death, and if there is no protest to this. Daniel is essentially lifted out, and even the government is thrown in in judgment in true medo Persian style in verses 20 in verse 24. What is the point of this whole story? What is the point of this? Is it mere moralism? Is it it a mere be like Daniel? That's it. Well, no, it's not that. Kids' books in Sunday school, Sunday school teaches, be brave like Daniel, God will deliver you. That's not the point of the story. Because there are plenty of people across the centuries, particularly in the last hundred years, as we know, of martyrs who have been faithful and who have not been rescued from death. But remember... As we looked at earlier in our Daniel series, chapter 3 in particular, they were rescued through death. Because stingless death remains among the people of God, right? We all die. Daniel was raised up again, if you like, from this tomb of death to die again. But this is not do these things and God will make sure you go through life without being hurt in any way. No. No, the main point in here is my third point in all things. Revere God. The God who saves. Honor him. Trust him. Revere him. Obey him. Love him. Worship him. Feeling God, I think, means different things for a believer and unbeliever. For a believer, fear has to do with this trust and obedience. We believe that God is sovereign over all things. That's what it means for us when we call him Lord when we acknowledge that he is the king over all of our lives, when we confess, as we have done as Christians, that we have tried to live our lives our own way, and that has been a life of rebellion. We've been obstinate people, not been obedient, and yet we've come to him through faith in Jesus Christ to trust him and say, do you know what? I don't run my life the way I want to live it. I am you are in control of my life. I'm going to submit myself to your ways and humbly walk in obedience to your commands out of love. And that's what this is about. We know God is the one who has rescued us and delivered us because of what Jesus has done. Jesus himself, who is the epitome of trust. We only need to read the account in Gethsemane to see him walk forward in trust. In the sovereignty of God, knowing that God is in control, irrespective of the fact that there are chief priests, teachers, elders, Romans, who are going to crucify him. He trusts that God is in control, and so should we. As aliens and strangers in this present land, we eagerly await a Savior from heaven, but in the meantime, we live trusting in the one true God who does rescue and who does save who is powerfully at work to convert the Nebuchadnezzars of this world and to bring to a point of conviction the Belshazzars of this world. And well, we don't know exactly what happened with Darius, Darius, but maybe even to converting the Darius' of this world. That's why we live the way we live. We live trusting in the one true God. We immerse ourselves in our world in the great hope that we would make disciples make people just like us i've heard people say that to me before engaging them in conversation oh liam you're just trying to make me like you i'm like yeah well i am actually maybe apart from the spiky hair but in faith and in repentance and in trust belief of what I've found to be true of course I want you to be like me if being like me in terms of faith and obedience means not going to hell then you better believe that I want you to be like me but we must remain distinct and faithful to the end even as we saw in verse 28 see how this passage ends Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian in other words when these guys first came into exile, Daniel must have been a teenager, and what we've seen is this is about 70 years, almost 70 years later, because Cyrus is the one who says, "Do you know what God's people, all the Jews and all the exiles from Judah? Yeah, uh, I'm going to send you back to Jerusalem, and uh, how about I give you a whole lot of gold and a whole lot of stone?" and and the expertise that you need to to rebuild your temple and and reestablish your city. You know what the people of God are saying at that point? Praise God, he's faithful to his promises. He said he would do it. And amazingly, we have someone in the person of Daniel who from beginning to end witnessed it, from being carted off to Babylon in tears to returning to Jerusalem in joy seeing God's people return to Jerusalem in joy don't think Daniel went back so we trust all the way to the end brothers and sisters that the kingdom of God and its fullness is coming and that God is mighty to save and therefore we stay faithful no matter what even in times of trial we obey him There are lines that we will not cross in our culture Though we engage with it. We belong to the Lord and our citizenship is in his kingdom. So we must fear this living God who rescues and saves. But what about the unbeliever? what about the unbeliever when Darius says I issue a decree in every part of my kingdom in other words the whole world that people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel well we recognize that for those who do not know God and who are not trusting in Christ then there still remains if I may be so bold to say that threat of judgment it's a warning And the the example of what happens, I think, is seen in what happens to these officials. There's nothing wrong with the lions, is there? It's not not something wrong with the lion. That's not why Daniel's been rescued. It wasn't just just that the lion wasn't hungry. Well, because we see the officials who had set themselves up against God when they set themselves up against his servant were judged as it were by being thrown into the lion's den and before they reached the floor of the den the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones they end up being torn apart by lions but you know that's not the worst thing that could happen to them there is something worse than a limb ripping death and that is being ushered into the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ the King of Kings and Lord of Lords without being ready to acknowledge him as that that's a dangerous situation to be in because if he declares before you away from me you evildoer I never knew you you will be cast into the fiery lake of burning silver I'm just quoting from the Bible and I don't say that with any glee I actually say that with a broken I hope you see but there is a way to be rescued from that fate and strangely Darius well he points us to mostly to the right response in acknowledging God acknowledge the God of Daniel he is the living God who endures forever his kingdom will not be destroyed his dominion will never end in other words don't set yourself up against the king of kings and lord of lords don't pull on the gloves and get in the ring with the lord God almighty you will lose he is the one who is to be worshiped who has made a way for us to come before him how well he is the God who rescues and who saves as he has proven with Daniel, despite the fact that they throw him into the den and seal it up with his own signet ring and the ringings of his nobles so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Nonsense. God is mighty to save. He has proven it by someone else, the Lord Jesus Christ, by sending him into this world, who himself would be the focus of a conspiracy by chief priests, teachers of the law, who could find nothing against him to the point that they had to invent testimony against him in order to convict him who also was before someone who thought he had authority in John chapter 19 Pontius Pilate who said why do you not speak to me do you not know I have the power either to release you or crucify you to which Jesus himself responds do you not? you would have no power over me were it not given you from above the one who would send jesus to his death on a cross and who when he was dead and buried sent not only soldiers to guard the tomb but a signet ring to seal it don't touch the tomb was the message yeah well he's not in charge of god because god broke open that tomb and the one who is vindicated justified declared by his resurrection from the dead not guilty jesus christ rose from the dead to prove that our god is the one true god who can be trusted that our god is the one true god who saves and who declared that all who come to him in faith and repentance he will never drive away but welcome into his kingdom that on that final day when they do come face to face to him. Prepared. Well done, good and faithful servant. Come and share my joy. Which, if you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, which will it be? Well done, good and faithful servant, or away from me, you evildoer. Please confess your sin before him. Put your faith and trust in him. Our God is the God who is mighty to save. Powerful in every respect. Trustworthy in every respect. Follow him. Follow him. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Time of response. If you're a Christian tonight, why why not pray that God would help you trust him to be faithful to all of his promises, even in times of trial. He's the one who gives you strength you're not a christian why not make it a prayer of confession of sin and trust in jesus we're going to sing two songs in a second when the musicians